welcome to another episode of the Evolution Exchange podcast. And today we're actually at King's office. So thank you very much to Alex for hosting us and uh, for the King and some amazing guests uh, being here with us today. The topic we're going to talk about is how to continue to be innovative with a 10-year-old mobile game. Each of our guests have got some questions for us to discuss today as well. But before we jump into that, we're going to do a little round of introductions. So Olga, would you like to go first? Of course. Hey, I'm Olga. I'm UI UX director at Hindu Crush Soda, and I've been working at King for about five years now. Hi, I'm Abigail. Uh, I've been working at Head of Creative. Uh, I've, I am the Head of Creative for Candy Crush Soda. Uh, I've been with King for about uh, four years. Hi, I'm Karen. Uh, I work in Candy Crush Saga. I'm product director in the Saga Features team, and I've also been at King for nearly five years. Uh, hi, I'm Sahar. Uh, I'm director of AI Labs, uh, part of a central team called AI ML, and I've been at King for roughly the same time, about five years. Fantastic. Well, thank you all for joining us and taking the time. Um, each guest has provided us with a question, which we usually do, so we'll dig into it. And the first question is going to come from Karin, which is, uh, what do you see as the main thing that uh, makes Candy Games and King so special and for it still to be at the top of the market after 10 years? Yeah, I mean, just to give a little bit more context, I think, you know, there is something special. Like, you know, most games do not survive for 10 years. Most companies do not stay at the top of the market for 10 years. Um, you know, King has had ups and downs. We've had different degrees of competitive, like, pressure. But even even now, like, with, with in such a, like, fast-growing, exciting market, Candy's still number one, Soda's still really high up. King is still an extremely exciting company with lots of cool games. So I would love to hear from you guys. Uh, what do you see as some of the some of the special ingredients that we have here? I think it's really interesting because I remember when uh, um, back in the day when mobile was, you know, just starting off, we all lived under the assumption that the average timeline for a game would be around three years. So it's like you start first year, you ramp up, then a year and a half to two years. This is like where you peak. And then the third year is like you see the sunset. And I think Candy was one of the first games that kind of proved it wrong. And it was like, yeah, that's not happening. We're, we're going to stay here for a long time. But I think to me, it's always about going back to the basics of what makes games super fun. It's really fun core experience. It's a really cool board board feel. Mm -hmm. And this is what makes a lot of games stick for a long time. It's just coming back to this very pleasant feeling of moving these very realistic looking candies and, and, and just crashing them and seeing really cool animations that gets you in this exciting state that you want to continue doing is like short, short bursts of dopamine that get you, you know, excited and, you know, brighten up your day or make you feel, you know, uh, that it's a, a better feeling than it was before. So I think that's primarily, in my view, why people tend to come back over and over is that comfort feeling that you want to return every day several times a day. I had a really interesting conversation today with our one of our level designers, mm -hmm. and he was talking about um, projects that they do in order to go back to the old levels and make sure that that um, they feel really good. And as we add new features to the game, uh, how those features potentially impact the, the way that the levels work. And I think that that care and craft actually really sets us apart in terms of um, how we make sure that the player experience is consistent, even as we're changing the game over a long period of time. Uh, and I think uh, I, I was really impressed. It was one of the best conversations I've had all day, honestly, mm -hmm. just just hearing his passion about 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 the different elements of the game and and how much he enjoys taking these tools that we've created from a design perspective and, and playing with them and, and combining them in really interesting ways. Um, I want to touch on a different aspect uh, coming from like, you know, I, I, I my previous jobs, I haven't worked in gaming industry and uh, King is the first one. Uh, I worked in several different applications and I like you, what stands out for me at King is the culture. It's like, you know, it's innovative. People are very friendly, passionate about what they do. And uh, it makes it uh, an easy uh, and nice place to innovate. And uh, like, you know, I, I really appreciate that. And I, I think that has brought also a lot of value. So we look at like, you know, what we learn about our players. We innovate through and iterate and iterate and, and, and keep improving. And uh, we also look at what are the technologies out there and we try to continuously integrate those and like you know build a better product so uh striving for having a better product having a very nice work culture uh i think it makes it a, a 
this special place and like in a more productive was, was that what you expected before you joined King? Like, was it kind of sold to you that the, the company, the culture was there or was it something that you sort of found very quickly as you joined? Like, oh, wow, this is amazing, the type of culture. I would say both. Yeah. It's like, you know, uh, and King is known for the culture mm-hmm. uh, in Stockholm tech scenery. Uh, so it was not a surprise when joining, mm-hmm. but also it was more than what I was expecting. Nice. Uh, so it's really nice to see a lot of talented people working in such a nice culture together. Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you. I mean, I also think that sort of innovation, we are really cent- centered around like what is the player experience? We have tons of data. But we also like we we really care about understanding like much more deeply like getting the insight what what do players like about it? how can we give players more of what they like and occasionally sort of gently tweak and say hey this is a new thing like how do you feel about this do you like this too um, but I think you know like balancing that culture of like okay can we can we you know together as a as a company uh, build something and also with our players really sort of craft that. I don't know community I yeah. guess or like you know we we want to serve our players and I think that's you know a really big part of it I think I, I really uh enjoy the point of like talking about values and how much uh those values are quite intrinsic in our teams everywhere because I think also innovation sometimes in gaming companies or gaming industry specifically is looked on like design side of things but it's really inspiring to see a lot of people innovating in different spaces and like the way we talk about it everyone should be a creative champion is one of our core values of their company and then innovation can come from a piece of tech that someone just like decided to try out and see if that works out and then that spurs innovation everywhere else because we'll look at it and say oh how what are the interesting ways we could try and use this tech and then start just applying and trying things and this kind of experimentative mindset is what fosters a lot of really exciting and new ideas that we then just show to our players and see okay how do you feel about that i i, I have a few examples in my mind that mm-hmm. actually like you know it came from uh, let's like you know in a hack week project let's innovate and yeah. come up with new ideas yeah. interact with other parts mm-hmm. of the company learn about their pain points build something quick and then like you know we see good feedback and values out of that and like turn into a product product or project that currently is used by the rest of the, the company. So I, I agree with your point on that. I think it's that that foundation of empathy that we have at King. Mm-hmm. It, it, it goes out to our players. It goes out across the teams, creating a safe space for experimentation. People feel like they, they can learn and, and they can um, experiment. And, and, and so I think because we have that as a core part of our, our values, I think it really permeates throughout the product and the experience. Yeah, but I always think about it, it works like a series of sparks. One person has a little spark and then yeah. everyone else kind of lights up. This is a really cool feeling and it's an actual real feeling where I sit with our tech director and say, hey, I have this like crazy idea. Do you think we can make it? It's like, let me think. And then they make this whole piece of platform. Then they were like, OK, how do we apply that and how do we turn that into some useful tooling that we can use in design and level design and art. Uh, so I love that feeling of like spark spreading. I think the, the ability for that to have happened, though, obviously doesn't just come overnight. You know, like a company's got to be set up in a way of building a foundation to allow that, you know, that culture to happen, that you could go to somebody and say, I have this idea and see it spread across. So do you, do you feel like that's probably a factor why King stayed up, you know, like we say in the market of 10 years that that's been built, you know, maybe in the early days and people are quite proud to say I work at King's that you know it's an, an amazing achievement to say you know the King's been there for 10 plus years so for people to say I work at King because of values like this do you think that's quite a, an important aspect of it? Yeah I think it's an important aspect I think King is very different from a lot of gaming companies in the way where um, I remember before we used to always say a great idea can come from everyone, anyone. So, and this is true. And I know in many companies they say that, but it doesn't actualize in any like mm-hmm. actions or how things actually go into roadmaps or how things end up in the game. Whereas King is that interesting place where it does happen. Mm-hmm. So anyone can have an amazing great idea and see it through and see it happen and turn into something in the game. And that creates that, you know, feeling of enablement where everyone feels free to just like express their mind, say what they think, express their critical thinking about someone else's idea. So this this whole environment, I think, was set up from the get go in this way. And it's we try to nurture it as much as we can. I think it's also important when we talk about innovation, I think especially in this mm-hmm. context, um, innovation is not 
just like the big steps forward, right? Mm -hmm. The innovation and a huge amount of the innovation we see is is like, you know, the 1% improvement, yeah. the sort of half percent improvements. Because mm -hmm. if you have hundreds of those, or if you have one 1% improvement every day, like you get to a much, much larger like point every year. So, and, and that sort of enables people in the team to, like my absolute favorite part of any day is when I have someone in my team say, hey, I found this issue and I solved it. Yeah. Uh, and they take ownership and sort of enabling that type of like t taking ownership of you know, the things that happen around you, your own workspace, uh, constantly sort of trying to improve things for, you know, both for our players, but also for, for each other um, is, I think, you know, really, really special. I think um, maybe I would like to add to that also, mm -hmm. like, you know, it's in addition to like giving this possibility of innovate gradually, mm -hmm. it's also uh taking leaps mm -hmm. of like you know and investing on a uh, future and mm -hmm. like you know if you want to innovate for 10 years and like you know be successful for another 10 years like you know what are the things that are needed like you know do we have the right tools are we enabling like you know the creativity and the freedom of like you know people to innovate uh, and like you know what are the next technologies do we have the right talent in the mm -hmm. in the company and um i think we we have done a great job of ensuring that like you know we both committed our and focus on like you know gradual improvements but also like looking at uh, next big things i think that's one of the wonderful opportunities about these 10-year milestones mm -hmm. andy had theirs last year and uh, next year we'll be celebrating soda's 10-year anniversary it's a great way to reflect on what's been done what makes the game great and also figure out how you can take that that great that that those elements those core great elements and and make sure that they're going to be awesome for another 10 years and magnify them so that players will still enjoy the game i think that's a shift in mindset right like i mean i think we've all been the king five-ish years mm -hmm. and you know like i think when we joined we were still sort of trying to figure out like well, like is it going to make it another five years now we're pretty like i think we're pretty sure <laughs> that both candies are going to be here for you know another number of years so like the way we think about long-term bets is shifting like it makes more sense to invest in something that's going to pay off in two or three years. Yeah, but I, I kind of like looking back at how we uh, weave in innovative things. Uh, I think I like to think about it in a way where innovation is a mindset rather than a piece. So it's not a big or incrementative. It could be a variety of things, just how you solve things and you can innovate not only like in the game or what we put in front of players is how we do things it could be innovation in the process or it could be innovation in tooling it could be uh innovation on a character that an artist is creating and just putting a little interesting idol piece that made everyone super excited and all players loved it absolutely that happens all the time and uh i always try to talk to my designers in a way that you need to think in the mind space of innovation how can i solve this problem not like everybody else on the market it, but truly look at the problem for the players and solve it in a really exciting and fun way. And it could be a teeny tiny improvement that we're making or a huge ginormous feature that we're releasing or an extension on a game. Uh, it could be anything. But if you put the right mindset, it, it always is going to be delightful for the player. Right. So that we need to keep that in mind as long as it's delightful. Yeah, and I think there's, I think, I think there's a certain amount of agility mm. that's required for that kind of mm. thing too. I mean, it's, it's, and I, I think it goes back to what we were talking about with the, with the values and 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 championing creativity because what we're doing, what we're trying to do in the end is anticipate design needs, mm -hmm. um, whether it's the design needs for the teams working on the product or or what what our players are going to need, and and mm. and I think that is is really the core of that spark that you were mm -hmm. talking about before that sets up everything else, yeah. right? Yeah, well, brilliant first question. Thank you very much, Karen. Um, we'll move it on, which the, the next question is going to come from Abigail, which is, our players play Candy Crush franchise games in short and long sessions on a wide range of devices. So how can we innovate in big ways while maintaining our pocket size player experience? So Abigail, do you want to expand a little bit on, on the question there? Yeah, I mean, I think I think uh, we we try to create the biggest experiences that we can that fill in, fill in the mobile devices that we run. And we, we run on other devices as well, but the majority of our players play you know, with something that that fits in their pocket, and and usually it's fitting into uh, their schedules. When when we 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 bring moments of play to them when it works works for them, right? Mm -hmm. And so there there are elements of this that that create some really interesting design constraints. And I'd love to hear from you all how you think we can innovate within those areas, and and um, how you've enjoyed innovating or had challenges innovating in those areas. 
Mm, it's a really, really good question. <laughs> um, I mean, as, as, a, as a starting point, I think you know a, a big challenge for, for, for a game like ours is that the time period that you want to play and also sort of the, the, the context in which you play is much more varied than for many other games, right? Imagine you have a console game, you're going to be playing it on your console, so you're likely at home where your console is. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas with Candy, you could be in the doctor's office, you could be watching TV and watching playing Candy at the same time. And so how do you have make sure that all of those experiences are relevant, engaging, delightful, um, you know, that you have enough things to do, but not too many things to do? Um, so, so it's it's a. Do I have insights here? Some. <laughs> um, to some extent, I think we have you have to let the players choose. Um, they know better than we do. In in some, instances, I think yeah. you know. So I'm really curious to hear your take on this, but like, because we can optimize the experience up to a point. Um, but then also, like, sometimes you can tr give the players a menu, and they can also choose it themselves. So I don't know. Maybe you want to add on. Yeah, that. I think first of all, I I think our game um, has the elements that allows us to fill in these different types of experiences for different types of players. So that is like they're talking about the innovation part, like understanding players and like, you know, having a design that allows like, you know, uh, to provide a better experience to each player. Right. Uh, but also to your point, uh, like there is no uh, magical average player that you just want to like, you know, give this experience to. So looking at the data of our players, looking at their experiences, learn from like, you know, talking to players, learn from the data, learn from designers. We try to innovate and understand uh, actually a better context. So like, you know, we, in our research in AI, we try to develop and build this context that allows us to provide a better uh, individualized experience like you probably like you know if you are sitting in a bus and then like you just have this five minutes you don't want to see a lot of pop-ups so like you know we should probably allow that and you have a better experience why like you know you in another context you may appreciate to see all of these different like you know options in your 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 pop-ups um so and that's why we, what we are trying to do to make sure that like you know we provide variety of experience to each players serving at the right time. Uh, yeah. I think that's one of the interesting things about um, King and, and our AI strategy. I mean, I think a lot of people are surprised when I tell them that we've been using AI for as long as we have. Yeah. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's like been like at least five years. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Um, and, and it's all about understanding our players. I think when people mm -hmm. think about AI in games, they leap to like, you know, procedurally generated worlds mm -hmm. or, 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 or uh, complex uh, models associated with, you know, weather or physics or that kind of thing. Whereas we use it to understand our players, which I think speaks really well to where we decide to innovate, yeah. right? It's all about bringing the experience to the player in the, in, in the way that fits their needs. Mm -hmm. I think it's really uh, the key here is to stay stay as player-centered as we possibly can, Absolutely. as we talked. Mm -hmm. And I think it's quite challenging, uh, even today, with all the tools we possibly have, is understanding yeah. that context is crucial, yet extremely difficult, because it's insane amounts of data that we have to work with and try to understand, okay, what is the right experience for that particular player at that right moment? And I think, uh, especially with the variety of devices, so because Soda is one of those rare games that you can play on pretty much anything you right. like. <laughs> so if you have a very smart uh, fridge, you can also play Soda on your fridge. And we should understand, okay, what experience could we cater for those players? But then also deliver experience for the short burst of like five minute fun on the bus or on, on the, the train. train. Yeah, not the fridge. If you if you're making ice, yes, or like you know, I don't know. Uh, you're just standing there sometimes, uh, of course. But um, there's a lot of challenges that come with that as understanding their context. Um, for example, there's a lot of uh, issues for a lot of mobile games about connectivity, right? Mm -hmm. And something that yep. we need to consider all the time, especially. We are quite spoiled here in Sweden with our connectivity as everywhere is perfect subway up anywhere you have perfect like 4G. But if you ever go to London and try to play any game on the subway, obviously. So we have to consider a lot of these instances and still deliver that fun experience 
you know, understanding that, okay, this player just came out of their house and they have perfect connectivity and they go down the subway and then there's no connection, but they still need to continue that experience. They still need to be engaged. They still need to do all the things they need to be doing. Yet there is this big issue of no connectivity or a person who decided to switch and they were playing on their phone and they want to move on to their iPad just because for them it's more convenient because they, if they're relaxed, they want to see a bigger screen. If they're on the go, they want to play on a smaller screen. How do we ensure that seamless connection between these two experiences? All of that is context. That's, again, huge amounts of data. But as long as we always remember, and which we, I think, are doing really well, is always thinking that, it's these little moments that we have to design for. We always have to think that, okay, we're doing this really cool feature, but how would it play if in a subway? How would it play on a big iPad in a landscape mode when someone is relaxed in their bathtub? You know, this thinking and, and trying to put it before we even put it in front of the players, just putting this context of players and as a core of our designs. I, I wanted to uh, touch on something that uh, you mentioned. Um, Think like you know, AI is providing like you know, it's an enabler for us to understand our players and use those build those contexts uh, and like you know, provide better experience. But I want to emphasize also on the fact that what I have found it as a, like a very insightful and interesting journey is how to marry product design and technology of AI mm -hmm. together. Because like if you just have the context you still need to have a like a good design or good product that mm -hmm. allows you to cater this experience right so uh, that is talking about also like your previous question about how we've made this far with like you mm -hmm. know the the 10 years and hopefully another 10 year uh, i think the key is to how we work together and innovate together mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, on tech, I think we should also talk about, you know, the wide range of devices, right? Yes. And, and, you know, when we want to do big innovations, well, often that requires a lot of memory space. Like, you know, it's a big, you know, we want to do amazing art and we want to do like lots of cool code. And then we're like, oh, actually, but it has to work on a 10-year-old, like, I don't know, fridge maybe. <laughs> um, you know, how, how can we, um, like, how, how do we design technology like to to enable us to deliver these awesome experience, the modern experience that should be delightful for anyone who has, you know, the, the freshest new iPhone or whatever, but also works well for someone who has a, a an old, you know, less less good device. Um, and it's it's a big challenge, but I think, and I think it's a really interesting problem, right? Like who do we design for? Like who do we sort of, what kind of technology um, do we, uh, how can we reach, like we are a mass market game, how can we reach as many people as possible in the places where they are without compromising the experience? I think that's really difficult. <laughs> I think, but I, I also want to kind of give an, a testament to King because uh, um, in the like in a lot of my past experiences, you usually create a cutoff and you just say, well, we, we're not going to go below a certain device. Mm -hmm. And I think King is one of those very few companies where we talk about so many devices and such a long history that at some point Apple is like, we're not going to support this device. And we're like, okay, we can still support this device. It's fine. So I think we're still trying to cover this as much as we can, but it does present quite a big challenge for us because it becomes this interesting kind of uh, narrowing down tool that we cannot look beyond just because we have to cater the similar experience to people on all devices. Exactly. I think, but I do think that 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 level of constraint actually requires us to come up with even more creative solutions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think about all the optimizations that we do, all of the conversations we have about about how we're delivering content to players um, and, and those kind of things. It, it means that we have to be in, in some ways a lot more creative than somebody working on on a game for a really, really like premium console yeah. um, because we have to operate within such um, restrictive constraints, um, but still create an experience that feels immersive, easy to use, intuitive, and and beautiful. You know, yeah. it's not an easy thing to do, right? No, not at all. Yeah, I love constraints. I think for design, constraints <laughs> are the best thing, just because, um, you know, it's, it's actually quite difficult to like create 
great ideation in an open space. Right. Uh, so the more constraints you have, actually, the easier it is to innovate and to create new and fun things. And I do agree with you. The more constraints we have, the more innovative the solutions come out because we have to account for so many things and still bring so much fun and so much delight to our players. It just, again, creates that spark because you have to think so much outside the box because there is no ready-made solution there for you, right? right? So you always have to look just beyond that threshold and say, okay, what else is out there? I mean, I don't know that I agree. The more constraints, the better. <laughs> we have <laughs> points to ideas that we would love to, to sort of make happen, but, you know, yeah. can't, can't yet. But, yeah. you know, we'll have the idea to be Also, um, we talked about, like, you know, the player experience. A big part of it is also content and levels that we are providing. Yes. Uh, I think uh, it is amazing and like you know sometimes I ask like I get asked like you know how do you manage to have such a variety of content and, and like you know joyful experience to for players to keep playing in such a small size level and uh, I think it's, it's quite interesting it's like you know we have variety of content we have a uh, like just in candy, we have fifteen more than 15,000 levels and then like you know how do we manage to have a good journey and fun uh, to continue for our players uh, in such a small size. Now we're talking about constraints as well. They're also unique levels. Yeah. So I think yeah. that's what yeah. makes it even more yeah. difficult. Yeah. Crafted, you know, like we have people looking at every single level and say, like, is this fun? Is this the right level for this position in the in the saga? Right. It's 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 a amazing amount of work goes into level creation. Um, I think it's also an interesting uh, conversation on how uh, technology could, you know, uh, try to advance the process of how we're creating content overall for all kinds of games. But I think specifically because we do work with so many constraints like screen size or or the uh, the board size and then the types of special candies we have or the overall how candy uh, can disappear on the board. So it would be interesting uh, to hear from you, Sahar, how do you think that uh, the application of new technologies can affect or how what, what we should expect in terms of innovative solutions in that space. I'm glad you asked. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about this five years, yeah, I think, yeah. you know, we have had a, like, you know, one of the projects that we are very proud of is like, you know, supporting design and building assistive tools in mm -hmm. uh, level automation. And um, so we have built uh, a bot that can like, you know, help and validate the quality of the levels pre-release as part of the process of like, you know, ensuring a better quality and better assessment of what, what we put out there uh, for like, you know, as an assistive tool for designers. We also have uh, built over the years, getting feedback from design and like, you know, from, uh, um, from content team on uh, automatically allow like, you know, tweaking levels if we need to, for instance, like a design principle has changed. We are introducing mm -hmm. new elements, how to update, like, you know, all of the uh, content with the given constraints and like expectations from design. And uh, I mean, those tools are now appreciated by designers. It frees up their time from mundane tasks to be able to make more, like, you know, focus on more creative tasks. And we would like to continue on those. And I believe the new developments in AI allows us to innovate even further and, uh, you know, help with, like, you know, better solutions uh, on, on that front. Very exciting. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's also freeing up new types of features, right? We're working very closely with, with mm -hmm. uh, you know, in the, in the features team, working very closely with, with, with the core gameplay and the levels team yeah. to think about, like, how can we serve I mean, in Canby, for example, we have, you know, 15,000 levels, but they're all in the line. Yeah. Uh, how can we serve, you know, our players with, with new types of content, regardless of where they are in the saga progression? Yeah, exactly. How can we make sure that we, you know, we have 15,000 levels, we add most of the new levels to the end. We tweak yeah. them and we fix them. You know, how can we make sure that we give all of our players our best level? Yeah. And, and AI is such a big, big solution here. Like, it really helps us uh, serve the right the right level to the right player. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think, yeah, yeah. Again, it has been very interesting journey for me coming from like, you know, the AI side, working closely with product and then like, you know, being able to see that we brought the impact and like, you know, how it is used currently mm -hmm. in the process of uh, level creation. 
We'll just bring it back to like, so I think we'll go on to AI a little bit more, more detail later on. So I don't want to jump too far ahead. But I think Olga's question next is, is already sort of leaning into what we're discussing a little bit. So I'll read Olga's, uh, Olga's question out and I'll let you expand a little bit more on it as well, which is uh, how can we continue to foster innovation while ensuring consistency in both game design and player experience? Because incorporating novel elements can be inherently intricate potentially causing disruptions in established systems. So do you want to give us a little bit more context to that then, Olga? Of course. So uh, it's very easy for any designer to design a new game. It's a blank sheet of paper. You can put whatever it is you like, and it's just all perfect and, and amazing from the start. But once you start growing the game, and once the game has been on the market for 10 years, it becomes inherently more difficult to add to those systems because as the time goes, your competitors advance, right? So systems and, and even player experience advances. Your players grow up with you. They become more experienced as they go. So it becomes really complex to innovate and create new things considering what we've already built so far. So how, what, what are your takes? How do we create new experiences considering all the, the previous legacy that we've built already? I think this is such an interesting question because I often I often refer to our games like we have to make sure that we're thinking about them as spider webs and not mm. octopi mm -hmm. um, because it, it can be really hard, especially for early designers to 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 think about think about the the intricate uh, connections mm -hmm. between all of the features or between you know the 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 tools available within our levels. Mm -hmm. And so I I do think that and we've been speaking about this a little bit, but I think that part of the reason why we've been successful is because we're always um, trying to to look back on the experience and, and we look back at the levels that we created, um, you know, understand that when we introduce something new, it's it's like dropping a stone into a pond. It has mm -hmm. ripples um, uh, throughout throughout the experience. And, and um, you know, that that but but we walk into that still uh, with an experiment uh, mindset. Right. Uh, we make sure that uh, we understand that that there that uh, the there's dependencies associated with it, and and we we test and iterate based off of those dependencies. And I think that actually allows us to innovate more within our products than than a lot of uh, other games that that have struggled with adding new features um, after they've already been established. Yeah, yeah. I think building. I mean, building on that, especially with sort of the spider web and the ripple effect. I don't think there is a opt like an optimal like candy experience and optimal soda experience, which is like we should get to here and then not move. Right. Um, like we add new stuff and then everything else has to shift a bit around it. But also like the world is changing, right? Like players have different types of expectations and their sort of both understanding of games and you know the world changes like imagine like early days of gaming you know, yeah pong brilliant super cool game world changing if you release it now well no, people wouldn't care in quite the same way um so i think you know we have to you know players come into to our games expecting a certain experience and it's really important that we deliver that experience and that we that we sort of honor their our, our commitment to them but beyond that you know yeah we change some stuff we change some other stuff to fix the things that were changed and then sort of and that sort of moves us forward and that's that's how how innovation works and how we sort of rebalance the game yeah i think um i i agree with the points but also um, i also think that like you know there are certain changes that we need to make along the way like you know for instance like you know where do we store our data or like where do we compute are like you know is it reasonable to have it on premise is it reasonable to have it on the cloud it's like you know what the latencies that are we expecting those technical things changes the requirements and hence requires new technologies and like you know we have been gradually incorporating those uh in and like you know updating um the underlying technology for our infrastructure and for games uh so we need to innovate on that, like, you know, the, talking about the constraints is like, you know, and I'm, I'm talking about like, you know, getting back to AI aspects again, like you, there are certain, uh, the game technology, it puts us like, you know, in like, you know, it gives us some uh, requirements and constraints to work with. But at the same time, we also look at, uh, we think like, you know, if we want to look at like, you know, five years from now, this is like, you know, how we can support to provide like a more playful experience 
and, and these are the technologies that are needed. And then we start collaborating in like a centrally in like in our shared tech organization and with together with games to make sure that our technology moves towards that and enabling that. Otherwise, we won't be able to innovate on that aspect. I think it's interesting. Uh, we we always to think that the world around us is always changing, right? So the world does not stand still. And I think if we look at our game, if we'd stand still when the world around us is developing, continuing developing, at some point we will become irrelevant. We're not interesting. We're just not up to date. Uh, and uh, I think the best thing that can happen to anything is to have those competitors around us that stimulate us always to move forward and always to evolve. But the way I like to think that also is that humans, we are as human beings, we're like not stale. We always ever changing, right? And then when we deliver state like same kind of experience every day, that's not fun. You know, it's fun to a point, but it's not fun. You always want to change things. Your motivations change. And sometimes you come in and you want to play on your own, but then tomorrow you want to play with your friend. Uh, so, you know, it, it it all depends on the mood because we we are humans and we are so so fluid in our wants and needs. And I think as as a game, we should strive to try and understand again. It's player context, it's intrinsic context, but it's still context, and and understand. Okay, is this player in the mood for a solo play today, or is this player in the mood for a competitive? Maybe like uh, try to compete with someone, uh, or maybe they want to play a tournament today. So how like how do we ensure that we still manage to build those things, but yes, still give a best possible solo experience as we've been doing for 10 years. I think that's a very interesting design challenge. Yeah? Agreed. Agreed. We, we talk about motivations all the mm -hmm. time in our in our daily work because it's it's so important to have a variety of motivations and understand how they connect or compete with one another and 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 where that fits within the player context and 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 how they want to play. Uh, it's 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 um it's it's a really important part of our conversations. Mm -hmm. And to what extent can we, you know, we have the players that we have and they have the motivation that they have. And but to what extent can we adjust or tweak? Right. For example, I mean, certainly a couple of years ago, Candy was a solo game purely. And so the players who prefer social play, play did not play Candy. Uh, I suppose we started off with Facebook, but but, you know, in the interim years, Candy became a, very, a strong solo experience. Um, and if we want to reintroduce more social mechanics, like, how can we nudge players who've been very happy playing Candy on their own? Like, how can we introduce relevant social experiences in the way that they're like, yeah, actually, it's kind of fun to play with friends. Um, it's challenging, um, but I think a really interesting sort of design problem. Yeah, in some ways, it's 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 very much more challenging to try and change because what we're doing is we're changing player behaviors as mm -hmm. we introduce these new motivations. Yeah. And, and when you have players who've been playing as long as they, some of them have been playing candy or soda, that those players' behaviors are highly established. So, you know, understanding, you know, the risk and and understanding that 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 learning curve is actually uh, even even more difficult to overcome when you're when you're training those new behaviors. I think is really important when we're introducing new features and new experiences. And I think finding that right hook or that right yeah. trigger is like. Uh, as I always like to say, so motivations are a spectrum, right? And everyone falls within a spectrum. So every player could theoretically be a social player to some degree. But then for everyone, there's going to be a different trigger that's going to put them over the cusp and going to make them more social or maybe less social. So it's a really interesting challenge on trying to find that right hook that players experience. They're like, oh, yeah, that's super fun. So what is that experience that they, and I think this is where our innovative efforts lay within, is finding these really interesting hooks on how to expand player experience, not change, right? Not substitute a solo play, but expand and build on top. So like make it richer and make it, you know, more deep in the game. I think um, consistency and like, you know, new adventures and like it's 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 something that uh, we want to maintain and uh, is looking at like you know data and learn from like you know experience and read about like you know understand players it's quite tricky to figure out like you know if you want to optimize and like you know improve that how would you ensure that you keep the consistency and like you know provide this new thing and then like you know you don't break the experience plus continuously learn from the new thing that you read uh, and making sure that like, you know, 
then you ex like you know what you are reading is not based on only like you know I am showing you this particular thing and then like you know we just read because like you know the player is playing this because we showed it to mm -hmm. but also like understanding this was an interest of the player to play that and how can we learn those from our player interaction and like you know uh, iterate and and improve uh, what we are offering. Those are like the you know, very challenging problems to solve, and I would say it's like kind of unsolved problem. <laughs> but I think we can also, you know, we talk, you know, we have amazing data, but I think it's important to talk about the difference between being sort of data driven and being data informed, right? Yeah, exactly. Because we, we, you know, what we, what the risk is is that like if we only look at exactly what the data is showing us, we can optimize, you know, on on the on the hill that we are on. Yeah, exactly. But we will only ever reach the top of that particular yeah. curve. Yeah. Whereas, you know, you could. There will probably be other hills, other curves that might maybe bigger, but then like um, in getting from the from the optimization curve that we're currently on to the next one, well maybe we'll say ooh it's like sail and we'll we'll lose some altitude as we go. Um, so how can we sort of make sure that we are brave enough that occasionally we will go against the data and occasionally we will say actually yeah this is maybe a bit negative in the short term but we see all these amazing opportunities. Mm -hmm. Um, like, how can we be brave occasionally and trust trust our judgments? I mean, I think that one goes back to once we were, what we were talking about before, which is understanding the player and understanding their needs, and making sure that we're when we introduce these when we introduce these new uh, features, these innovative parts of the game, that we're showing them the value and the context of of those elements, so that they immediately see, okay, here's why I want to play, here here's what it does for me, and and here's how I play it. Right. Uh, that that lowers the amount of risk in introducing something brand new to them. Right. Um, and it and it and it creates this entire environment in which they understand and, and appreciate uh, what 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 we're doing. Uh, and, it, and it creates that uh, kind of change. Change is not an easy thing sometimes. And, and so you have to create an open and an openness and open environment and, and safe space for the player to experience it. I also think it's interesting when you talk about data informed versus data driven, because uh, whenever we talk about design, I would say it's important not to underestimate the gut feel. So uh, there's a lot of data we work with every day, qualitative, quantitative. We talk to players all the time <laughs> and it can be quite loud and it can be quite overwhelming, but there's always these people who can seep this data in, kind of work it through themselves and create an output. And it might sometimes be not exactly what the players are asking for. It could be a, some version of it. It could be something completely different. But there is always this, again, innovative spark that tells a designer with a lot of experience saying, OK, I think that this would the, what the players would enjoy. And I think this is the beauty of this organization, where this spreads among so many people that gut feel, that experience, that kind of through our years of learning through our years of experimentation, we get this feeling that, okay, I think that this might work. I think that this would be a really exciting new curve for us to explore and see how it goes. But again, continuously learning and hearing that feedback and, and, and sending it back in into this loop and evaluating and going and then polishing and iterating and making it better and better for the players. I think about the feature that your team is working on, Karen. Um, None of the players specifically asked for that feature, right? Um, but it, I believe it's live right now, right? It is live right now. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah and and uh, it's it's kind of like a, a whole new extra experience. But but uh, and so there is some risk associated. But my understanding is is it seems to be doing pretty well. And and you know my dad was actually playing it while he was visiting. He's like, yeah. wow, you see this this thing? They've got this whole new branch, and yeah. it's really exciting. And he was thrilled. Um, and you know, and it's not anything he would have asked for. Mm -hmm. But by understanding that there was this unmet need across the player. Base. I think your team was able to to provide something that was truly novel. Yeah, no, we're, we're really excited. I'm, I'm not going to talk too much about it, <laughs> but, but we're seeing really great player response. Fantastic. No, really good question. Thank you very much. I'll go, uh, we'll go on to our last one, which was uh, touched on a little bit earlier. Uh, it comes from Sahar, which is with recent developments in AI, the industry is evolving to integrate AI as a core component in game development. What do you see as opportunities and also challenges as well? So, so how do you want to uh, provide a little bit more on that as well? I mean, uh, the landscape of AI is changing. It's like, you know, evolving so fast and like just looking at a lot of different companies, including like gaming companies and like the adoption of AI. Uh, I think it's 
shifting the mindset of like you know productivity the mindset around like you know game development and i uh, i like to like you know bring this up as a topic and like you know discussing on like you know how what are the opportunities that you see from like you know game development perspective and like you know what what are your wishes and like you know uh, they, it also comes with like you know risks and concerns and like you know how we are going about it uh, i think we have uh, been quite active in in the field it's like you know we have a strong talent on the ai expertise uh in-house uh and like you know we've been working very closely to figure this out and like you know be one of these first companies in that area in gaming and like you know would be interesting to see from game development side what are your perspectives on this I think it's a, a it's it's a very exciting area. Like I'm always excited <laughs> about new technology. For me, it's a, ooh, what else we can do yeah. that is super fun. But I think what uh, for me the biggest challenge is bringing this technology to more people. I think uh, the tool is only good when we know how to use it properly and like being well informed. Is as I mentioned before, the way our organization works is everyone has ideas. So the more people know about all the possibilities that are technologically available to us, the better quality of ideas we can output. So I think it would be interesting to hear. Do you think there's uh, there's a way we can bring those tooling closer to everybody, not only, you know, to selective tech people that are aware, OK, this is the capability we now have, but uh, to a designer, to a QA that maybe has an amazing idea, but just doesn't know that we have this amazing technology is sitting. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. Like, I think these are amazing tools that will help us move faster and do more stuff, right? You know, if we go back, you know, 100 years with people who were calculators, mm. now we have calculators that are calculators. Um, so, so which means that we can free more people have access to calculations and we can sort of do more math faster. Now we have, you know, technology that is great, that pattern recognition and pattern generation. So how can so do that people are not that great pattern, pattern recognition, especially. So how can we democratize that ability, give people, for example, more access to analytics? Like if it's easier to analyze big, big uh, amount of data and get to insights, then more people can use that insight to do cool stuff. Um, I think I think there are um, like you know interesting aspects that you you bring up. That there are two aspects, right? One is that how can we enable and like you know uh, level up the skills and like you know and make it more comfortable to to use the tools. And that is like you know an aspect that, for instance, here in 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 our organization we work on like you know to do AI enablement and making sure that everyone um, gets easy access and like you know uh, also like you know uh, level up this the like you know, the basic knowledge now like you know mathematics it probably like you know hundred years ago was not like you know, something that the, everyone should know now everyone knows some basics of mathematics so it's the same with like you know ai like you know you don't need to know all the details but you need to feel comfortable with using it and like you know that's uh, what the part of organization is doing and then the other thing is like you know, making the tools available right uh, and making the tools easy to use uh, and uh, this is where uh, we need to like you know there are tools out there that we could use there are also things that we need to build internally uh, that gets integrated to the process and like you know helps with uh, productivity productivity uh, for for people I mean I look at the at these tools and it's so much of it is either about um, creating you know rough ideas or rough drafts or rough versions of things faster or being able to scale you know or yeah. and, and or or taking scale and bringing it down to to usability right so I think I think one of the things that's that is is so important when we're talking about these tools is actually looking at the pain points in our workflows mm -hmm. or the pain points um, in how we deliver content to players and making sure that 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 we're creating the the, the tools that accurately you know fit those. I think there's so much opportunity uh, in 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 us to um, explore these tools in in a creative context as well. But then you know and and, and I know I've, we've been having a lot of conversations with your teams about that. It's just making sure that we're ethically sourcing. Mm -hmm. um, you know the ability to do so and and so there's 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 so many interesting one of the things i love about talking with your team sahar is is, is it's some of the most uh, uh incredibly bright people thinking about really really important topics and asking really important questions and i think that's something that uh, we need to always um keep at the top of our mind when we're having these conversations about the tools and how we use them and how we want to expand our use of them 
Yeah, I think like pain points are uh, important aspects, right? So it's the, um, like making sure that we understand those and like, you know, we build tools for the right things. It's like, you know, we do applied research. We don't do AI research for the sake of doing AI research. And like, you know, that we also talking about ethics, like making sure that it's like, you know, responsible AI and like, you know, we have initiatives in the company that supports and making sure that like, you know, we are responsible with regards to our players. We are mm -hmm. responsible with regards to our processes of game development. Uh, and uh, it is a hard problem, but uh, getting back to like, you know, way of working and like, you know, openness, like, you know, cross collaborations. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel very positive and excited that like, you know, it gets us closer to work on like, you know, projects and like, you know, build this together. Yeah. I feel like we're making big strides. I've, I've been really impressed. You know, I think AI has been a really big focus for like a year and a half. Like it's been like one of our top priorities in King. And now, like towards the end of this this year, I'm really seeing, you know, use cases just explode, like the the, the work is really starting to pay off in a big way um, across the organization. So yeah, really, when, really when I started, it was yeah. like, you know, you could count with not like, you know, with your fingers, the number of yeah. use cases. And uh, it's like, and now it's like, you know, initiatives across the company. It's so exciting to yeah. see that. Super exciting. No, but I also want to reflect because I remember when I started at King five years ago, one of my first meetings with interdepartmental heads was with, uh, not with you, but someone else from AI team. And we talked about some exciting new prospects. I was like, wow, mm -hmm. you know, we can do that. We can actually do this. So I was really excited even then. So I'm, I'm very actually excited of what we're going to do next year and the year, the years after that, because again, the technology has advanced. And I think that the understanding of the knowledge about technology has advanced in our teams as well as as well as everywhere else. And I think it would be interesting to see, uh, again, specifically how we talk about player context and how we recognize player context, how we recognize patterns of player behavior mm -hmm. and how we can adapt to those patterns of behavior. Because again, it's extremely important to deliver the right experience at the right time because the wrong experience is never going to be fun. It's always going to be a burden, frustration, but it's this right time. We know you're on a couch watching your Netflix show and also double screening in your phone. And we know that's the right experience for you to deliver right now. Or we know, again, you're like in your bed and you have, you know, half an hour and you're very relaxed. And then there's a different kind of experience that awaits you. And, and I think that technology is the way to go. There is no other way. We can't be standing next to you all day. Or, you know, <laughs> we, we don't know, but there's there's other methods and other ways how we can try and, and predict those and try to try to learn more about you and how you play your game every day and why your morning routine is different from your evening routine. I, I think also it has been interesting journey to shift from like, you know, delivering fast and gradual to also have like this larger investments and like, you know, looking at this is where we want to go. This is the type of experience that we want to provide and how we can enable that and like can translate that to AI projects that uh, or like, you know, other technology projects that allows us to reach there. Uh, and like, you know, having this kind of long term investments uh, in my opinion in the past, like, you know, few years uh is uh is making it very exciting and promising yeah even five years later that wow factor yeah, is still yeah. there. <laughs> every time every time we did the training beginning of this year with sahar and the team and i was like oh, yeah. oh my god yeah. all the yeah, tools every, yeah. time. Yeah. every time yeah. every time <laughs> fantastic well thank you very much that's uh all the four questions so we'll wrap it up just want to say uh, another big thank you to Alex for helping organise this and for King for hosting us. Thank you very much to Olga, Abigail, Karen and uh, Sahar as well for all being here and taking part. If anyone listening does uh, play Candy Crush on the fridge, please let us know because I want to know where you got the fridge from and, uh, and do the same thing. So thank you very much. We'll leave it there. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much.